I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. And I'm stuck. He's making cut with his Odyssey. I'm gusset. I'm absolutely gusset. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, welcome on in. It is another edition of Mode Push and American View of F1. Alex Curie, Dan Jimenez joining you for another week of getting you ready for your race weekend, getting you through the things that remain from last race weekend as well as we just finished up uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix and now we're getting ourselves ready for Spa this upcoming week. I always love the race weeks, Dan Jimenez, where we don't have to wait that long. And this is one of those. Here we are. And a prediction of rain at Spa, at least early in the forecast. So these are all the <laughs> these are all the things that make me excited about a race weekend in Belgium. How is it, man? Uh, good. Yeah, doubleheader. Back to back is always fun time. But we're going to be going into the summer break here, so hopefully we're we're left with a a very exciting race to wet our whistle to get through the. The, the the summer holiday and uh, get back to racing on the second half of and the year. This is something that Americans do need to take note on from the Europeans, right? Hey, oh yeah, it's August and it doesn't exist in our world. Like it just is like it is a <laughs> it is a black spot on the calendar. Don't call me. Don't uh, don't. That I mean, I'm going to take some time here because football season is about to start up, and that's my busy season, and so. Uh, I'm going to try to sneak in a couple of days off, but at the same time, it's like, man, I get jealous of, uh, and actually I think one year we did go, we, we took a trip to Europe one year and it was in August and it was just funny because we're looking around, we're like, no one's here. They're like, they're gone, dude. Like they're on vacation. So (laughs) it's actually, if you're planning on a, if you're planning on a vacation, this is actually a good time to do it in Europe because, uh, you know, there might be, the cities might be a little bit more sparse. I would avoid the South of France. I would avoid the South of Spain. The Portugal yeah. coast, I would uh, – any of these places that a lot of these uh, folks like to hit the uh, Mediterranean can avoid all those. But if you go to the northern 
parts of uh, or into Scandinavia, boom, you got yourself a free ride on the boats uh, as much as you want on those weekends. So, <laughs> uh, The Hungarian Grand Prix. Should we start there, Dan? Because we didn't get to really do the full review here. Um, I, I mean – I was fooled a little bit by McLaren telling us that, yeah, this track really isn't going to work for us. I don't know. Yeah, Silverstone really worked to our uh, our strengths. What has Zach Brown and his team figured out? I mean, obviously, we'll get to the Red Bull stuff and how dominant they are, but I, I think it's pretty exciting to know that, you know, they're <laughs> while some teams are finding their updates not actually doing them any good, you've got McLaren that's actually making it work and Lando with a second P2 in as many weeks. Yeah, I mean, everyone was surprised by that result. It was great to see. It's been such an interesting season with teams up and down at different points of the season. And Red Bull's been the constant. But we had an era where Aston Martin was dominating, and then uh, Ferrari seemed like they were going to make a resurgence. And then they quickly fell back down to being like the fifth fastest team. And then it was, um, you know, Mercedes for a bit after they got their updates, and now it's McLaren. So, I mean, they've that number two, three spot uh, in terms of the fastest team has been switching hands. And right now it looks like McLaren and they might be distancing themselves for the rest of the season. And, you know, it, it's hard to know what they've done outside of hitting copy paste on the Red Bull side pod floor. And I mean, there's even more comments after this last weekend around um, Sergio Bendit in Q, like the first lap of uh, free practice one, right? So they had to lift the car back up. And so oh, everyone got everybody hates a that. fresh <laughs> look at the brand new floor. They brought a brand new floor and it's like, Sergio first thing he does is go out there and shows everybody and, and put it in the sand trap shows everybody so I think I think the teams are just kind of phasing in this um this like uh kind of convergence upon a single uh most performant design that Red Bull has figured out and uh, that's creating more competition in that mid I guess midfield if you want to call it the midfield it's kind of everybody that's not Red Bull um, kind of from second to sixth is all converging in and making it really competitive. And uh, yeah, McLaren surprised and it'll be interesting to see how they do in spa. And we'll, we'll talk about spa here in a bit, but um, given how they did at Silverstone, there'd be uh, you know, reason to think that they're going to be as dominant at spa, but uh, Andrea Stella, you know, this week was starting to temper those uh, expectations um, and just some things that are unique about spa that we don't often talk about, but I, I am all in on the uh, the McLaren train. Lando and Oscar are like just two fun young drivers to cheer for. And uh, yeah, hopefully they get the chance to get back up there on the podium and not break another trophy. Did you? Uh, yeah, the breaking of the trophy was an interesting one because even today they had the media session as they're getting ready for uh, for Spa. And for the one millionth time, Lando Norris has been asked about the breaking of the of the trophy. It was a really weird moment, right? And then we start to get the breakdown of how long it takes to make those trophies, right? Uh, the cultural connection that it has to Hungary, right? This uh, this special type of handmade pottery, sixty thousand euros worth of trophy. By the way, um, the tune changed quite a bit from. Oh, you know, we're just having fun up there, and uh, yeah, I didn't mean to knock it off and break it, but, uh, you know, who cares, to uh, Helmut Marco really shaming McLaren for for their young driver breaking the, the trophy and saying that they should pay for it out of their own pocket, uh, to then Lando today making the apology tour about the, ter- about the trophy, uh, to Max not acting like it was that big of a deal, but I would be freaking furious if my piece of hardware that was like a one-off um, and somebody brought it up too. They were like, 
these drivers don't care about trophies anymore, and it's a freaking shame because all they do is they go, awesome, there's my trophy. They don't even touch it. It just goes back to the factory or whatever. Somebody else takes it, but they don't they don't really care about it these days. I, it was a weird moment, and it was a bummer because that's a really, really cool and unique trophy that, that, uh, that F1 has at the Hungarian Grand Prix. Yeah, of all the places for this to happen, it happens at Hungary where they've been making this you know, uh, ceramic, very delicate, (laughs) like they've made it for eight months, but it's been the same kind of trophy made by the same group for decades. You know, there's like lots of history and national pride in it. And of course that's the one that Lando breaks. He's not going to break like the Las Vegas, whatever junk trophy that's going to be. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I love how the Vegas, the Vegas race has now turned into a hiss and a bio word just because of how expensive it's become and how weird uh, Liberty media is being about it. We'll get into that in a minute though, too. Yeah. What will the Vegas uh, trophy be? Just one of those. uh, I mean, it's gotta be something from like the, all you can eat buffet, right? Like the chocolate fountain. (laughs) Just a crab leg. Oh, the chocolate fountain. (laughs) (laughs) The chocolate fountain already kind of looks like a trophy, but when they get up onto the, uh, when they get up onto the podium, you have to fire it up. That's when you actually like fire it up. It'll be, yeah. Yeah. That or a miniaturized version of Trump tower. Hey, uh, anything to make it look, uh, anything to make it look like Vegas. I'm trying to think because you can't put a, you can't put a fake Eiffel Tower on there. Can't put, uh, you know, the <laughs> skyline in New York City on there. Both, which have uh, some weird spot there in Vegas. I'm trying to think that would make it. Yeah, I mean, you could do the stupid sign, the Welcome to Vegas sign, but that doesn't seem classy <laughs> enough for uh, F1. Uh, but yeah, so you had that whole thing that went down. But let's get to the Red Bull part of it, which was as soon as everybody thought that everyone was kind of gaining on. Red Bull and Max Verstappen, especially, it was maybe the most dominant win based off of the fact that everybody had been getting closer. And it was a freaking joke because what was it, a 34 second win? And even then, they were going really half, half uh, heartedly through that race. It seemed like at the end, at one point, the engineers had to dip in with Max. They're like, everything good? He's like, yeah, it's fine. And, and it was not even like interesting for him, it seemed like. And he put it like, hey, it was just it was a little bit boring because it was just a perfect car for the weekend. Uh, disheartening for fans who wanted to see the top, uh, that gap be be sort of shortened a little bit. What are we getting from this Red Bull situation? Because I thought that everything was working out to where everybody was catching up to him. Yeah, that's how it felt after Silverstone with like a, only a three-second win. And we get to Hungary and they bring another round of updates. And one of those updates was their side pods. Uh, in the whole shaping of the side pod, the intake is like skinnier and wider, which makes for like a bigger undercut, which is like that huge uh, vacant space underneath the side pod mm-hmm. um, that, and it's like angled differently now. And it's like just forcing the air in a different direction. So new concept that, um, you know, they've innovated and it, it really worked at Hungary, but, you know, in qualifying and practice, we thought like, Oh, maybe, you know, they're not, they're not going to be as competitive um, obviously Lewis getting the, uh, pull by three one thousandths of a second was super exciting. And it would just look like, oh, maybe like this is going to be the week that, uh, that Red Bull falters, but you know, they had set that car up for race pace to manage the tires. And as soon as, um, Lewis had his poor start and Max got around him, it was, oh, man. it was over. Yeah. And you know, it was interesting too, because it was the same type of, uh, you know, reaction. I think that we had the week before a little less so because, but 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 Lando and and uh, and Piastri just immediately throwing themselves into the mix and uh, being a part of that uh, of of the front of that race 
was another kind of shock. I think we were all going, oh, my goodness, they they really do. McLaren really has brought it. McLaren has figured something out. And then I've already gotten the sandbagging of, a, yeah, but Spa's not great for us. Like, I've already started to right. hear that uh, a lot this week as well. Um, but, you know, all the storylines that, that happen there, when you have the podium that you do, when you have, you know, Max winning by the amount that he did, Checo having like a recovery drive, obviously, to get back to that third place winning driver of the day on a day that Danny Rick came back to the uh, to the to the grid. Uh, it was interesting, but I just love having McLaren up on the on the podium again because that's a guy who seems to have been earning uh, everything because Lando is one of those drivers that everybody looks at and goes, yeah, he's one of the up and coming guys in the sport. And he hasn't been able to really prove it until now that the car has been a little bit more behaving or underneath him because I, I think that everybody was just assuming that McLaren was going to be bad for another year. And that's, a, I mean, to have that type of turnaround, I don't know historically if you can go from, dude, we don't know what we're doing. We, you know, the beginning of the season to now halfway through the season looking at it and going, no, they, they could legitimately be a top two or three team by the end of the season. Yeah, it's one of the greatest midseason swings we've ever seen, and especially just compared to how bad they were to start the year. Like even straight out of te- um, you know uh, winter testing, they just were terrible. And um, you know Lando's showing us that he is a championship caliber driver. Like he's going to win races, and if he can get in the right car, he can challenge for championships. And then Oscar is not that far off. He had a little bit of bad luck in in Hungary because um, uh, they had to pit Lando. Uh, first to cut off, I guess, the undercut from Hamilton, which ended up giving him the undercut on right. Piastri. Mm-hmm. So even though like Oscar had that really good start, um, I think he, we saw you know, that. Lando I think we saw. I think we saw the pace was with Lando, though, right? I mean, like that was the, he was the stronger driver of the two, and that is a bummer, you know, to say, man, he could have had his first podium, but I, I think in the end they were lapping, and Lando was the guy who was getting three tenths and four tenths on those laps of, uh, on his teammate, you know, kind of toward the end. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I've got a um, an analysis pulled up here from the uh, formula data analysis guy on Twitter that he kind of uh, extracted the the averages of um, all the different teams and compared them. So Norris on average was four tenths of a lap faster than Piastri. So you're you're right on the nose, four tenths, which uh, was pretty good. But Verstappen, Max was half a second a lap faster than Sergio. Um, Hamilton was four tenths faster than Russell Norris, four tenths faster than Piastri Leclerc and signs were dead. Even Alonzo and stroll Alonzo was three tenths faster. And Danny Rick was uh, a quarter of a second faster than Yuki. And so mm. I think we, we saw some, I think interesting trends there with like uh, Ricardo straight out of the gate, having, um, you know, all, even though he got, he kind of had that issue in the, in the first corner with, I mean, we can get into um, Alfa Romeo and their just disastrous start with, uh, <laughs> with Joe Guanyu. Right. It was like, the worst possible way to start that race, but you know, that knocked Danny to the back and he had to had take a, you know, a different strategy to the race, but um, putting that all aside, he was still consistently faster than Yuki and Yuki has been driving that car for years. It's, it's really incredible at, at what Danny Rick was able to do on Sunday. Uh, at the media session today after last week, you know, I think everybody knows that the car that's underneath him is not a Red Bull, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty clear. Uh, so your expectation is to maybe just beat your teammate, which he did. But uh, today at the media sessions, uh, Danny Rick was being asked questions. He goes, I think it's really fun that you guys still kind of like me. I thought you guys would ask me questions last week and then forget about me. But uh, everybody's still interested to see what Danny Rick is going to do before the summer break here. 
And I know that, that Red Bull seems like big giant dirtbags for making the move that they did with a couple of races left before the, the, you know, the halfway point of the season. But when you look at it now, if they're able to get two uh, races under the belt of Danny Rick, they could just propel themselves even a little bit more going into that second half of the season. So what does it look like? What, what do the upgrades that going into the – what kind of things happen in the summer? Is it wind tunnel time or do they shut the – don't the factories get shut down to some point? Well, at what point can these uh, teams work on their cars at least a little bit or is it just one of those things where you have to make hay right now because nobody touches the cars during that month off? Yeah, they really do take a, a sizable chunk of, of that month off completely. So we're getting into the phase of the year where you're getting through to your like last wave of upgrades on this current year's car before you switch over to development to, to next year. And there's already lots of talk about how basically teams are trying to establish their platform uh, for what next year's car is going to be. So we'll see, we're, and we have seen some upgrades um, come through for this week. And we will see probably the last wave of upgrades in the first few races after the summer break. But then after that, I expect that all that R&D and attention is going to go towards next year's car and teams will just know what they have. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if if the other teams can't catch up to McLaren, Red Bull aside, how much ground McLaren can make up in that last half of the season where the development is uh, a bit more uh, frozen than it was during the early part, parts of the season. So tell me what, the does the tire qualifying uh, experiment that they had last week was it a success and do they continue to do it is that how they're going to do this or was that just a test for there what did what was your assessment of of how that worked on top of how it's going to work uh the rest of the season or if uh what's spa going to look like when it comes to that i thought it was one of the most entertaining qualifying sessions we've had all year uh and especially with lewis you know eking out the pole right there at the end i was a fan of it i hope they do it again i'm i'm pretty sure they're planning on doing it uh at least uh, once or twice more this season and i you know they did it out of the spirit of like we're giving you fewer tire sets but i, I think that you could do still do it even if you had 13 tire sets instead of 11 you could still say make the same mandate that we're but you know i think for me as a fan it was just easier to keep track of Okay, who's going out on what tires? Uh, you know, sometimes that can get a little bit confusing. Are they used? Are they, you know, brand new sets? And you were able, I think, to follow in qualifying, I was able to follow a little bit easier and just know apples to apples, like where the pace was coming from or who had the pace right out of the gate during a session. And so I hope they bring it back. I thought it was a good tweet. What kind of changes get made for Belgium then from the Hungaroring to uh, Spa? Because I've already started to look at some of these teams. Uh, side pods or or cooling inlets, fine, but rear wings are getting uh, tweaked pretty big time too. So what what's kind of the the wisdom engineering wise on going into Spa compared to other racetracks? Yeah, so Hungary is a slow, relatively slow course because it's short and twisty, uh, and so you want to run high downforce because you're not making it a lot of downforce already because of the speed of the car. So you got to have a big big wing, what they call like a loaded rear wing. Um, you go to like, now that we're going to spa spa has some really long straights, long sweeping corners, and that high speed uh, allows them to create more downforce from like the ground effect of the car. And that means they can run smaller wings in the back, like you would at, um, at Monza, uh, for example. And so we'll see probably some inner, more of like an intermediate wing, um, and might see some differences between, uh, teams relative to where their strengths are. Uh, and so I think it, it plays again into Red Bull's, uh, 
favor and where their strengths are that they're just fast. <laughs> they're the, they're at their fastest when they're at the highest speed tracks. And so it, it and, um, Max has already has also said that this is his favorite track on the circuit. So uh, I, I wouldn't bet against them. I think they're going into where they're, they're absolutely their strongest, but uh, we'll see, you know, can McLaren continue to eat away at that, uh, at that advantage like they did at Silverstone. So I saw a uh, meme today because the sport, the, the spa forecast for this weekend is uh, rain. I know it's crazy, but there could be some rain uh, in Belgium. And I was wondering who the best person is in the rain. I think Lewis Hamilton's numbers are really good, but I mean, in that 2014 to 2022 era, uh, it didn't matter what the conditions were. Mercedes typically had the best car, bar none. And now in the last couple of years, same thing with with uh, Red Bull. And so we sort of artificially go, oh, the best drivers in the rain are Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. But uh, I know that people that people that get a lot of, uh, of uh, kudos in the rain are typically guys like Alex Albon. Uh, I know that uh, Checo is also kind of a, a good rain driver. Fernando Alonso obviously is, is pretty darn good in the wet and kind of any conditions that F1 could throw at him. But uh, how much of that does does account on a weekend like this? And who really are the best uh, weather drivers, I guess, the rain drivers uh, on the grid? Yeah, the ones that you've mentioned. Another one that comes to mind is Lance Stroll. Like he's he's had some pretty good wet races as well. Um, and basically, what does that do? I mean, you lose... Um, the ability to use the, um, the, the curves, like the energy recovery system, the electric battery motor, like that, they don't run that when it's raining. And so, you know, a team like Red Bull who might have an advantage, uh, on pat on the power side of things, when they use their hybrid battery, they lose that when they're in the rain. Um, and so with that, there's no DRS as well when the rain turns on. So it really just comes down to just raw talent and being able to keep the traction. And for newer fans who might not be familiar, you know, in your road going car, you have traction control and in F1, there is no traction control, at least active, like electronic traction control. So it's, it's really in the hands of the driver to be able to put the, the speed down. Um, and at, at spa, um, you've got a f- like three slow corners that lead into long straights. And so you gain or lose most of your time coming out of those slow corners. And like turn one is a really sharp, I think it's over a 90 degree corner, almost 180 degree corner wow. that uh, leads to the Kemmel straight. And the Kemmel straight is this um, kind of uh, very infamous uh, part of the track where we've unfortunately in the last few years had two different um, drivers, uh, lose their lives, uh, coming up over, um, the Kemmel straight onto the Kemmel straight from, um, Uroge, uh, the, the long sweeping uphill turn. Right. And that in the rain is, I think probably the scariest place in motorsports, uh, anywhere in the globe. Sort of blind, and uh, you know, coming it's around blind. Yep. Yeah. Blind. And you, because you're cresting over the hill, you get this negative G effect. Like you're on a roller coaster. Harder to control so the car the car is lifting and becoming more weightless as it comes over that crest and you're, you still have some steering input into it. And so you have lateral G that those tires are trying to hold onto in the wet. And, but if you, if you lift coming up onto that straight, you're going to lose a ton of time. So it becomes this challenge of, you know, courage. Um, and we've just unfortunately had, um, two terrible accidents. And so, you know, going into the weekend, there's been a lot of talk and, you know, George Russell, he's the, I think he's like the director of the, um, the driver's association. He's been talking about 
uh, or talking with F1 and the FIA about the decision around, okay, if it's going to rain this weekend, when do we call it? Like the drivers obviously are a lot more, um, I think attuned to the, the risks at spa specifically in the rain, um, highlighted by, by the, the recent death, um, of a, of a young 18 year old Dutch driver, Delano Van Toff. Um, and so, I think that, you know, we saw it a couple of years ago when it rained a bunch, they, uh, they ran one parade lap around under the safety car and then canceled it. And I think that is a real risk this weekend, um, even more so with just, uh, kind of the, the recent tragedy. And it, it sounds like they're the drivers led by George Russell are already talking actively about it. And let's hope that that doesn't happen. Let's hope we get uh, a dry race or a moderately wet, moderately wet race, but not a full, full rain out. So how does it look this weekend then? Um, there's nothing. It seems to be stopping Red Bull, uh, rain included, but, uh, if there's going to be a surprise on the podium, could there be one? Or I, McLaren says that this is definitely not their strength of uh, changing their rear wings and changing a little bit of their speed setup. Um, but you do have people who are bringing upgrades to the track, among them Aston Martin, among them Mercedes. Uh, is this another weekend where Lewis Hamilton is challenging for another podium? They seem to be as depressed about the gap <laughs> as anybody. Toto, I think, referred to... Uh, Red Bull this week as them being in F1 and everybody else sort of basically being in, in F2. That was uh, demoralizing <laughs> if you were somebody listening from the uh, the AMG Patronus team. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, this has just been a strange year. The, the one constant is max, and then everything else is up and down every other week. So, mm-hmm. I you know, I hear McLaren saying like, hey, we're not good out of the slow corners, and you got to be good out of the slow corners to be fast at Spa. But I... I don't know. I I think that they've got the mojo going and they're going to continue to to get the most out of these upgrades. And so my surprise for the weekend would be a Lando pole. Um, and, uh, you know, if he can get out front, a Lando win, uh, I think that's that would be my uh, my my dark horse candidate, I guess, if you want to call it for a surprise this weekend and an Oscar Piastri podium. So double podium for McLaren. Wow. Double podium, not just double points. I'm still waiting for that moment when I'm not going to say Williams double points. I'm not going to do that, but you know what I'm going to do? Logan Sargent points this weekend for Williams. Okay. This is a, is a good track for Williams. For sure. I think this is one of those, and I'm not saying that Albon couldn't be, but I don't want to, I don't want to jinx them both like that, but I want, I want Logan Sargent to get his first points in F1 before the break, maybe take some pressure off and then come back and just, uh, come out firing from the uh, from the summer break, and uh, that that's what I'm hoping for for this weekend. Just give me that ninth place, give me that tenth place. I like I like uh, not just one point, which almost feels more insulting sometimes when you're like, I got my first <laughs> point, you know, and you go, yeah, but let's make it eighth place, and you get a a, a few points instead of uh, just one. But that's my prediction for this weekend: is Williams a Logan Sargent points finish? Uh, I'm gonna go. It's gonna be a Max and Checo one two. And then third place is going to be George Russell. That's going to be my uh, prediction for uh, this weekend. Okay, Dan. Uh, before we get out, what any other any other thoughts on Spa or anything else coming up uh, before the summer break here? Um, just this news out of Las Vegas with Liberty Media, uh, kind of shaking down all the casinos. It's just it. It's it's who so, shakes down the casinos know. better than the better than the mafia, bro? F one. Yeah, this is the ta- this is the town the mafia built, right? It's. Uh, <laughs> 
What is I mean, going I've on? seen Godfather too, right? So <laughs> I I know how this business works, right? But, but what on earth? Um, what on earth are they trying to do to make this even more difficult? It's already a tough race to get into for even people who live not that far away from it, like we do, and we still cannot bring ourselves to spend that type of money to go to the race. Yeah, the New York Post reporting this week that Liberty Media has sent a notice to all the casinos and restaurants that are on the race circuit uh, that they have to fork up uh, $1,500 per head what? of people that they uh, expect to be there in the race. Like they're, whatever their occupancy is times $1,500. Uh, or wow. Liberty Media will start putting up uh, obstructions huh? so that you cannot see the racetrack from uh, your hotel or your restaurant or your casino, oh, which sounds goodness. like uh, a, almost an impossible task, right? Like, I don't know how they wall off the entire the entire I mean, city. I get it. You don't want to have the the T-bone steak and eggs for six ninety nine guy having a good seat <laughs> when somebody paid $6,000. But, like, if you're in a hotel that's on the freaking strip, you can't tell those hotels what to do with how to charge those people because you're asking them to just put a $1,500 tax on everybody that comes to the hotel that weekend. Even, you know, you're in Circus Circus and you want to see the race. It's 39 bucks <laughs> that night, except for it's going to be 1539 for that night. Come on, man. That's crazy. I don't yeah, know. This is the loophole that we should have thought of. We should have gotten see, a spot at Circus Circus this, on the 15th floor and we see, would have been I, set. I'm telling you, like, it's suddenly we fell in love with that race and we're slowly starting to hate it more and more before it even happens in November. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, for some of these places, like a restaurant, you know, David Buster's or whatever it is that out there on the on the um, on the main strip is going to be like a two to three million dollar price tag that those restaurants Jeez. have to pony up or else, you know, they're just going to lose business wow. the entire weekend with a, a temporary wall in front of the restaurant. We won't charge you fifteen hundred bucks ahead to listen to the F1 podcast that is mode push. So that's our promise to you for Dan Jimenez and Alex Curie. Dan, enjoy the race this weekend. We'll chat with you again. Uh, we'll get some breakdowns during the summer break. We don't want to leave you totally hanging. We don't get the month off, so we'll be back for more. For Dan and Alex, we'll see you next time on Mode Push, everybody. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.